Section 9 of Starved Rock, a Historical Sketch by Eaton G. Osman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Veronica Jenkins. Section 9, The Sequel. Far as we were informed, so thick and fast they fell, scarce twenty of their number at night did get home well. Puritan Ballad. The Potawatomies. The Honorable P. A. Armstrong of Morris, Illinois, who has written much upon the Indian Wars of Illinois during this century, in 1873 published in the Morris Reformer a series of articles on the Starved Rock tradition, based upon personal interviews he had sixty years ago with early pioneers of La Salle and Grundy counties, as well as the retiring red men, trappers, traders, and other frontiersmen. After sketching the war which ended with the Rock tragedy, Mr. Armstrong brings the conquering tribes together the following spring on Indian Creek in LaSalle County, north and east of Ottawa, where they met to have a jollification over their victory, and then proceeds substantially as follows. On this occasion, weeks were spent in feasting, dancing, and merrymaking, weeks fraught with the most direful consequences to the peace and harmony of the Allies, for at this feast each and every warrior was allowed and expected to recite in the most exaggerated manner his prowess as a warrior, the scalps he had taken, the dangers encountered, and sufferings endured, commencing in all instances with Big Indian Me. Jealousies at once sprung up, as each candidate applied for applause, the squaws and papooses naturally siding with the warriors of their respective tribes, and a feeling of distrust, if not hate, was soon engendered, which daily increased so that when the chiefs came to talk about the division of the territory they had acquired, each tribe claimed the lion's share. Of the territory west of the Illinois River they knew nothing, and they all desired that territory watered by the Illinois River and its tributaries. An amicable division or adjustment could not be made. The Miamis were by far more numerous than either of the other tribes, and moreover, were much better armed, since they had quite a number of muskets, while the other tribes had none. This rendered the Miamis very domineering and haughty. They demanded all, or nearly all, of the newly acquired territory, which, of course, the other two tribes resisted. Hence, an open rupture was made, and a battle ensued, upon the very grounds they had used in feasting, the Potawatomis and Kickapoos uniting their forces against the Miamis. Many were slain on both sides, and after fighting from morning until night, the Miamis took advantage of the night to withdraw, leaving the Allies in possession of the battlefield. But this battle, although a severe one, was by no means a decisive one. The losses on both sides were heavy, and neither were in a condition to renew the fight for several months, as they were out of provision and short of clothing and implements of war. The balance of the summer and following winter were spent in preparing for a renewal of the contest the following spring. The Miamis went down the river and thence to Kaskaskia, while the Potawatomis and Kickapoos remained near their previous winter quarters, collecting provisions and clothing, and constructing bows and arrows and other implements of Indian warfare. Early in the spring following, 1771, the Miamis returned northward to give battle to their late allies but now bitter enemies and were met near Peoria, where another battle was fought, which, like the former one, was not decisive, was indeed a drawn battle, and each party buried their own dead. The evidences of these two great battles are, 1873, still visible in the numerous mounds where they buried their dead, 
which are still there to mark the spot and arrow flints and other implements of indian warfare have been found in the neighborhood by the bushel the war lasted with indifferent success to either party for about five years and many a hard-fought battle attested the bravery of these unfortunate passion-blinded savages who left their dead buried in many places throughout the coveted territory in the year seventeen seventy five they had worked around and nearly back to the place where their first battle had occurred with the illini harassed and worn by excessively long marches and repeated and sanguinary battles both armies were well-nigh exhausted a proposition was then made on the part of the miamis to pick three hundred warriors from each side and let them commence to fight at sunrise and continue the fight until either the one side or the other should conquer this proposition was at once accepted by the potawatomis and kickapoos upon the condition that the weapons on both sides should be the bow and arrow tomahawk knife and spear or such implements of warfare as were peculiarly indian and that the remnant of each army should cross to the east side of the wabash river so that no assistance or interference could possibly be made by either side this agreement was entered into with all the solemnity of the high councils of these respective tribes and three hundred picked warriors were selected from each side who crossed over to the bloody ground and encamped upon sugar creek which empties into the wabash river the place selected for this terrible duel was a heavy timber about twenty miles from the wabash the battle was to commence at sunrise the following morning the faded morning came a calm cool bright september morn and with the coming of the morning sun the battle commenced six hundred stalwart warriors engaging in a strife for victory or death they practiced every pass and word to thrust to strike to faint to guard here were the deeds of a thermopylae reenacted quarter was neither asked nor given death was the watchword and reply now shielding behind some giant oak every ruse was resorted to in the hope of inducing the enemy to expose his person now grappling in a death struggle the combatants fell never to rise again the duel raged from sunrise to sunset when twelve warriors only remained five miamis and seven potawatomis and kickapoos the five run the seven are the victors the great chiefs shikshak sugar marquette and shaddy were among the seven the miamis were conquered and by their agreement gave up all claim to the hunting ground of the annihilated illini and retired east of the wabash thus did the potawatomis and kickapoos become the successors of the illini and soon after this final battle with the miami they divided the territory between themselves the kickaboos taking all of the territory adjoining the wabash west to the line running north and south through oliver's grove in livingston county and the potawatomis all the territory west of that line the potawatomis having taken undisputed possession of their conquest made their principal village on the plain northwest of starved rock near the present village of utica where among others the youthful g s hubbard later one of the founders of the city of chicago as representative of the american fur company carried on a trade with them here unlike the vanished illini the potawatomis lived in tents not in cabins another important village was called wabunzi or wapanesi located at the mouth of the pishtaka or poishtalakush antelope as these indians called the fox river of illinois and the ancient city of ottawa in eighteen fourteen however 
a treaty was made with the Ottawas, Chippewas, and Pottawatomies, kindred tribes, by Ninian Edwards, William Clark, and Auguste Chateau, by which the Indians gave up their Illinois lands south of a line running west from Lake Michigan to the Mississippi. A few years later, 1834, the Pottawatomies were removed from Illinois to new lands beyond the Mississippi, and the Indians' part in the history of Starved Rock came to an end forever. End of section 9. Recorded by Veronica Jenkins in Ottawa, Illinois.